1: I never thought I would play beyond the collegiate level. Uh, I wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school. I got drafted, you know, late third round. A lot of people that saw me and witnessed me in high school and college never knew or had an inkling of an, uh, of an idea that I would probably be a hall of famer one day.
0: I'm Chris Long and this is American Prodigies Becoming Great. On this podcast, we highlight the fascinating career journeys of current and former football players. Each episode, we take you on a trip through a player's life and along the way, explore what it means to be great. Because greatness comes in all shapes and sizes and every path is one of a kind. Today, we're diving into the story of one of the NFL's greatest receivers, not to mention one of its greatest showmen. If you were watching football in the late 90s and early 2000s, you couldn't miss this dude. On the field, he was as dominant a player as the position has ever seen. And off the field? Well, that's where the fun really starts. He was brash, bombastic, he didn't always mesh with the folks around him. He definitely enjoyed creating a spectacle, and I mean that in the best way. But for all his big talk and wild antics, my man always backed it up with historically explosive play on the field. And above all, our subject today was what pro sports is supposed to be all about. He was fun to watch. He had a genuine joy for the game. And you know what? That pissed some people off, but didn't seem to bother him in the slightest. We are, of course, talking about Terrell Owens. T.O.'s full name is Terrell El Dorado Owens. El Dorado is Spanish for the golden one. That's some real foreshadowing on the part of whoever named him that. It's also a beautiful, beautiful uh, convertible. Born in 1973 in Alabama, T.O. grew up raised by his mom and grandma. His grandma was one of the overprotective types. Terrell wasn't allowed to leave his front yard to play with the other neighborhood kids. Imagine being someone with the energy and athletic ability of T.O. and not being able to just go ball with the kids on the block. It was a tough time for him finally in high school Tio convinced his grandma to let him spread his wings a little bit and he went all out basketball baseball football you name it when it came to the gridiron he didn't make the starting lineup as a receiver until his junior year once he got the opportunity to play he wanted to be just like his idol jerry rice he even wore jerry's number 80 jersey he wasn't quite playing on that elite jerry rice type level yet but he played well enough to earn himself a scholarship to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. There, Tio was a standout, showing flashes of the monster player he'd one day become. T.O. held the single season receptions record at Chattanooga until 2007. Given that UTC was an FCS school and they didn't have a great record, T.O. slipped under the radar a bit when he was coming out of college. He was selected by the Niners in the third round of the 96 draft. Now that he was in San Francisco, he had to swap out his number eighty jersey. That's because he was now teammates with his childhood idol, Jerry Rice. So T.O. donned the now iconic eighty-one jersey. And while he was at it, he tried to soak up all the knowledge he could from the greatest to ever do it.
1: Jerry Rice. I mean, he was available. I mean, he wasn't going to just offer you information, but he led by example. Right. And so when you have guys like that, you know, I kind of adopted, you know, some of those same, uh, you know, same approaches you know, to how I perfected my, my craft.
0: Whatever T.O. saw in Jerry must have rubbed off. It only took till October for the rookie to score his first TD, a 45-yard bomb from Steve Young. 2 was when Tio really started to break out though, starting 15 games after Jerry Rice tore his ACL.
2: Young throws wide open is Terrell Owens. How do you get that open in this situation? Takes it to the
0: 13. 936 receiving yards, 8 touchdowns. That's more than a solid showing. But what was it that made Tio's play so special and why did it work so well in San Fran? Here's Tio's take on it
1: when people talk about, like, who's the greatest receiver, they start comparing um, myself and Randy and Jerry. Um, Again, Randy made some great over-the-top catches. You know, that's what made him special. Um, But I think of all of us, all three of us, um, I always say that I was a mixture of, of Randy and Jerry with a little sprinkle of T.O. in there because I embodied a little bit of both of those guys but I added that element of re- that, that physicalness, um, the physicality of the game. And with all of us, we had that run after catch, but I think, um, I was just, I was just, just a unique, you know, I ran with power. Um, I ran with passion. Um, and I think, you know, that was uh, part of the West coast offense as I knew it. And, and, and I adopted to it, yeah. uh, was that, you know, we took the short pass uh, and we took it the distance.
0: In 98, Tio only improved on what he'd already done. First and goal, Young, the quick out to Owens, breaks a tackle, breaks another, touchdown! 1,097 yards, 14 touchdowns, even a rushing TD.
2: Charlotte Owens on the end around. Inside the five spins, touchdown!
0: The Niners went 12-4. When the playoffs came around, San Francisco came up against the Packers, who'd beaten them in their last five matchups. Despite some early game struggles, T.O. came up with one of the most iconic grabs in Niners history, the catch, part two. I'll admit, I prefer part two.
1: most iconic thing that I probably did, and that was probably the catch too.
0: Down four with just eight seconds to go, the Niners sat at the Packers 25. Eight
2: seconds left. Got to go to the end zone now. They have to go to the end zone now and hope that they either score a touchdown or they get it within eight seconds so they get another play. Three man rush and Young stumbles on the way back and fires up the middle. Pass is caught by Owens. Owens made the catch. <laughs> this is amazing.
0: T.O. snagged the touchdown. The Niners won. The legend was beginning to grow. 1999 brought another strong showing from number 81. But after that season, his man Steve Young couldn't pass the team physical and had to call it quits. T.O. had lost his future Hall of Fame QB. I
1: only had a few years um, with Steve Young, so I didn't really get to jail and really flourish under him like I I know I probably could have, uh, as he and Jerry had that connection.
0: The year was 2000, and stepping into the picture was the new Niners QB, Jeff Garcia was Jeff right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. So how big of a difference was that going from from Steve who is great anyways and like again no no not taking anything away from Jeff by comparing him to Steve right. but there's only a couple Steve Youngs in the history of the game if right. so like Jeff was actually he was in St. Louis when I was there. He did a grad assistant kind of year and he's the coolest dude ever but as far yeah. as like catching a ball from him after Steve Young lefty to righty is there a big difference with Oh uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Be, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you feel it immediately um, after going, after catching so many passes, or a few years of of, of Steve Young catching the the rotation uh, of a lefty, and then you catch it, you know, from a righty. It's going to enter your hands uh, a bit differently, and it's going to spin differently. So, yeah. um, so that's something that I had to get a, uh, adjusted to and accustomed to. Um, but again, it it only takes you know maybe a few practices
0: or so. It clearly didn't take T.O. that long to adjust to Jeff's passes. The 2000 season was his most prolific ever in terms of yardage. In a game against the Bears, he grabbed 20 catches for 283.
2: And now Terrell Owens has a record of all-time receptions in a game.
0: Just another day at the office. T.O. didn't just put up numbers or TDs, he scored with style, becoming famous for his celebrations. And Owens, I guess he's been rehearsing, he's been waiting for this moment. (laughs) On one of the more memorable occasions during a September game against the Cowboys, T.O. twice celebrated by standing on the Cowboys star at midfield. Cowboys safety, George Teague didn't like that too much.
2: Garcia to Owens, touchdown. Owens goes. again heading for
0: midfield. There he goes. Yeah, he's, there's gonna be a penalty on George Teague because he's gonna clock him. Was it uh, Teague that ran up and hit you? at the 50 on the yeah, star. Yeah, it was George T. Have y'all yeah, talked and I tried since to,
1: then? Um, No, I don't really. I, yeah, I, I I think we've had a few exchanges, I guess, maybe Twitter or something like that, or people have asked me about that situation and I've made, uh, I, I kind of just let them in on like really why that happened. It wasn't necessarily because I went to the star. Um, you have to watch the game to get a full understanding. Um, like I said, I'm not a great storyteller, but Um, as you would get on offense, you know, I was part of different packages. Um, there's goal line packages, obviously there's three and four wise, but as we get to the, you know, close to the goal line, obviously, you know, sometimes they have two tight ends and sometimes they have, you know, uh, depending on, you know, who you are as a receiver, if you're a dynamic receiver, they're going to throw you in on some goal line packages. And so that's why, that's where I was, um, obviously to kind of, you know, put the, the defense, uh, keep them honest. And then. If I'm, if I'm on the field, then they got to put, they got to put a defender they got to put a, uh, they got to put a DB or a safety of somebody on me. And so I was on the end of the formation. And so, like I said, I could have gone out for a pass or what have you, or I could block. And so they didn't know. So uh, we had a run play. Um, We pretty much had an RPO and we actually ran the ball, but I was lined up um, outside the tight end. And so when we ran the ball, obviously Teague had to come up and cover me. So I prided myself on being not just a receiver, but being, you know, physical in the blocking in the run game. Yeah. And so he basically came up because I I, I kind of started off like I was going to run a route. And so he came up and I basically, like I said, I, we engaged and I literally, Chris making, he was like baking. <laughs> <laughs> ah. I, I, I pan, I pancaked him. I put bacon on the pancake. So <laughs> sounds pretty good. I've done hey, that before. Hey, and that's what. Hey, if it sounds good, just imagine what it tastes like. So that's that's <laughs> how I felt. And so he honestly he got pissed because, literally bro. I I mean I like I said I prided myself, you know, for for being a physical receiver. Obviously bigger than 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 some and bigger yeah. some of the some of the defensive uh, safeties. And so I literally I pancaked him, and he was hot. Yeah. So that was his. So when I went to the star the first time, um, yeah, when I went to the star the first time, um, it wasn't a big deal. And then when I went there the second time, that was his opportunity to get me back because uh-huh. it was shortly after that that play uh, of me pancaking him that he wanted to to get me back. So I think it was a bit of a pride thing. Yeah. And of course, you know, obviously, he, you know, he wanted to show us show show his Dallas Stadium that you know they wanted to protect their house and court and things like yeah. that that nature but that was really why he came out and he and then he everybody say he like almost like like he basically clocked me but he basically kind of just whiffed me to be <laughs> honest and i i took that hit spun around fell down or whatever and got right back up as if it never even really happened so it wasn't a bit a big deal Everybody was like oh he clocked you dude he didn't
0: All in all, the Niners only won six games in 2000, but T.O. had 1,451 receiving yards off 97 catches and 13 TDs. 2001 continued the hot streak as the Niners improved to a 12-4 record. It was another 1,400-yard season for T.O., and he scored 16 TDs, his most ever in one season.
2: Here's Garcia back to throw. And going deep for Owens. Touchdown! It's just a matter of time. You have Terrell you have one of the best players in all of football as a wide receiver.
0: Despite the regular season success, the Niners lost in the first round of the playoffs. Another solid season in 2002 ended with an early playoff exit. But the most iconic moment that year had to be the Sharpie celebration. First and 10, ball of the 37-yard line. Split back, set, Garcia. Going deep, Owens on this side, just
2: makes the catch, touchdown! 37 yards, a tremendous adjustment on the play, and the Niners have the lead again. Springs that time didn't get his hands on him because he'd just gotten a penalty. He tried to get the hands there, and and Terrell Owens just waits and waits and then makes the perfect jump. What is, is that a pin? Yeah. A pen in his sock, and he pulled it out and autographed the ball. That's a first. Who would even think of that?
0: Who would think of that? Carol Owens would think of that. Well, how did that thing all go down? Right. So we
1: have uh, obviously Sean Springs. Obviously, I lived in. Uh, he lives in Arizona. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and uh, we shared uh, a mutual friend, in Greg Eastman, who's a financial. He was a financial advisor or what have You just a good friend of both yeah. of ours. And so I go, we go into Seattle and, uh, so they, uh, I end up seeing Greg at the hotel, you know, um, before the game and he had asked me, you know, for like a signed Jersey, a ball or something. And I told him, I was like, I don't have anything. And I said, um, I said, I'll get you one after the game. Yeah. And I was like, he was like, all right, cool. And so, um, and then he said, oh, you can just give me one, you know, one of the balls from the game where I'm like, all right, cool. So it just so happened we were going, uh fast forward to the game, um, we were going toward the suite of where Greg Eastman was. And I didn't really know that that's where he was, to be honest. I had no idea. And so right before that series, uh, that series of when I scored, um, we had an equipment guy, his name was Doc, who's still with the Niners to the day. We, we share a story about that. I mean, he he became famous because of the whole deal, because I mentioned him. Yeah. So he was on the sideline. And so, you know, how, you know, trainers or what have you, equipment guys, they have Sharpies marking on helmets and just this, that and the other. So he was walking by and literally out of the blue, I just said, I said, Doc, he goes, yeah. He, I said, uh, I said, you got a Sharpie? And he goes, yeah. So he threw it to me. And then he just thought, I guess, he, I guess he thought I was going to write on something or whatever and give it back to him. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I just stuck it in my sock. And so, and that was it. That was the exchange with us. And so the next series goes by, um, the defense is on the field and we're up. And so I just, honestly, I just had a feeling like, I'm going to score and I'm going to sign this ball. I just, you know, for me, it was me being creative, of, of the touchdowns that, you know, touchdown dances or celebrations that I've had up until this point. So I was always trying to find creative ways to kind of one-up myself. And I'm like, okay, let me just do this. I I, honestly, I had no idea it was going to become this big, big ordeal, to be honest. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm probably going to, you know, they want to talk about the celebration, but I didn't know it was going to be such a big deal.
0: That ball is worth a million dollars. It has to be, I don't know where it is. (laughs) <laughs> and so, uh,
1: so yeah, so we, I, again, we go to, uh, uh, we go out on the field, on the field and I'm, I'm, I go out to the left of the formation and, and Sean Springs were one on one. Um, uh, and Jeff caught, I think it was a go, it was a go route. And so I just, you know, I got by him and uh, Jeff kind of underthrew the ball a little bit. I went up and got it and I kind of just kind of just kind of took a couple of steps into the end zone. And then I, like I said, I, I bent down. Um, got the sharpie, signed it, and gave it to Greg, who was there in the uh, in the suite. And it had ink
0: in it because a lot of these sharpies, you don't know if they're good sharpies or bad sharpies. because you oh, imagine? Yeah, no, no,
1: I, I, yeah, it was it, it was a good sharpie. I figured if Doc was carrying it around at sharpie. that point in time, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a good sharpie.
0: In 03, the team regressed to a 7-9 record, and T.O. was ready for a change. After nearly being traded to the Ravens, Terrell ended up in, well, you know where. Philadelphia. A new city, a new opportunity, and with all that, a new role. Um,
1: I wasn't really known as one of those guys that took to, to take the top off the defense until I got to Philly. And that was because um, I had a quarterback that, you know, that had a hose of an, of an arm and Donovan McNabb. Um, and that's not a discredit to, um, you know, uh, the quarterback that I had in, in, in San Francisco, but, uh, you, you have to just call it for what it is. Jeff Garcia wasn't that, you know, pocket type of uh, prototypical pocket passer right. where he had, uh, a you know, an arm that he's going to sh- uh, throw 50 to 60 yards down the field.
0: In Andy Reid's high-powered offense, T.O. was a monster. He and McNabb had instant chemistry. It seemed to be a match made in heaven on the field.
2: And that pass is caught by Owens. It was a low throw. He breaks away. He's inside the tent, and he will score 59 yards. Terrell Owens has now caught a pass in 121 consecutive games. McNabb gets time, waits, throwing, deep down,
0: Terrell was on pace for another 1,400-yard season until Week 15, Cowboys Week. McNabb the Terrell Owens, and Roy Williams is going to make the hit, and Owens is going to limp off the field.
2: First, take a look at the head. Yeah, you take another look at it. You're gonna, just going to see the T.O. gets pulled down awkwardly and gets bent literally over that right leg. It's tucked up under him, and that's a horrible save. That's a
0: horrible save. On the opening drive of the second half, Roy Williams horse-collar tackled T.O., breaking his ankle. And it's absolutely nuts to think that horse-collar tackles were even still legal then. After this season, though, after this injury, they changed that rule. T.O. got surgery to repair his ankle and had less than seven weeks to heal up before his team was set to play Super Bowl 39. No one was sure if he'd be ready to go
1: that final week um leading to the Super Bowl, that Wednesday was my first practice. Um prior to that, I was, you know, just getting treatment around the clock, doing everything I could. I was doing, you know, some on the field stuff
0: yeah.
1: um, uh, while the team was practicing. But my first time practicing with the team was that Wednesday and it was so crazy because we were in Jacksonville. And so you thought that we were going to have a lovely Super Um, but during that week it was raining, it was cold. It was basically, it was just unseasonably, uh, uh, cold that week. And so I went out there and prior to me being on the field, I had no indications of of limping, no, nothing, no pain. And I think the weather change, uh, and the weather it being cold, it affected me. And so, I didn't even know that I was limping, but, um, I got in for a couple of, couple of reps and it discouraged Andy Reed because he was like, he went to uh, Rick Burkholder and he's like, yo, he's not going to be ready. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I was frustrated because I hadn't felt any pain. I didn't, I wasn't limping doing any of the, the agility stuff, the ropes, none of that ladder. I wasn't doing, I wasn't limping nothing. And just that that particular day, like I said, it was raining. It was cold. Um, I think it affected really what what was going on. And he was uh, he wasn't too sure that I was going to be ready for the Super Bowl. So, Rick that he stood on the table for me. I guess you know obviously as the week progressed, yeah. you know Thursday and then Friday you go over the injury report uh, of who's going to play, who's not going to play or what have you. And so, uh, even all the way to Friday, um, you know, Andy wasn't convinced that I was going to be ready to play, but Rick knew he knew, and he saw the hard work that I had put in. I mean, dude, I was doing everything, you know, around the clock as far as treatment. Um, I had massage therapists there. I was sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber, you know, for, you know, pretty much every day. Um, I was taking the the supplements, you know, that I needed to help, you know, with, uh, with my ligaments, the soft tissue, all those things. I did everything that I could to be prepared and ready, uh, for the game. And then on Friday, um, Andy, uh, I, the reason I know this is because Rick told me the story. He was like, yo, Andy wasn't going to play you. He wasn't, he was prepared mm-hmm. to make you inactive. And he said, I stood on that table for you. And he's like, yo, this guy, he goes, and that's, he called me the golden child. He said, yo, (laughs) the golden child will be ready.
0: Middle name.
1: Yep, exactly. And so he was like, trust me, he's going to be ready. And so uh, I told Andy too, he had a little talk with me and he was like, he's like, look, you were limping on Wednesday. But I said, coach, I said, trust me, I will be ready. I understand. I said, we don't play. We don't play on Wednesday. We don't play on Mm -hmm. Thursday. We play on Sunday. So I said, trust me, I'll be ready.
0: Against all odds though, T.O. was ready to make an impact. He clearly wasn't 100%, but he played through the paint and put up 122 yards off nine catches.
2: And you see the legs and the running of Terrell Owens down at McNabb, so he only sees him limp when he's coming back to the huddle. Owens, open space. Harrison chasing and out of bounds inside the 20, a 30-yard catch and run by Terrell Owens.
0: As we know, it wasn't enough.
2: And the New England Patriots are on their way to solidifying their team as an NFL dynasty.
0: The Eagles fell 24-21 to the
1: Pats. I think the most challenging thing is I wasn't as explosive as I wanted to be, um, considering uh, I only had like six and a half weeks to to get back on the field from the initial surgery. Um, And then even after the game, I mean, even that I heard, I mean, Um, there were commentators that, that labeled me selfish for trying to, for attempting to play or playing in the game. Hmm, That's interesting. Um, Yeah. So, um, which, which is one of those things. Yeah. And, and I honestly, it just, I I honestly just felt like it just because it was me, they had to say something negative, uh, about it. Um, because I guarantee you had that been someone like a Brett Favre, um, in that situation, they would have, I mean, it would have been glorified. I mean, just even with, you know, I guess two years ago, I guess Tom Brady played, uh, in the civil Bowl. I think he had some stitches in his, in his hand and they thought that was like the most, you know, heroic and unselfish, uh, you know, thing that they had ever seen. Um, but for me, the challenging, you know, the challenging thing for me was not, you know, not me, not being as explosive because I wasn't a hundred percent. Um, but I did everything, you know, in my power leading up to, uh, to to, 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 game day, uh, to get myself ready, uh, and, and, and try to at least provide a spark, um, you know, for the team.
0: Going into the 5 season, things had seemed to sour between T.O. and the Eagles organization, contract issues, a falling out between Terrell and McNabb, it wasn't good. T.O. was initially going to hold out, but he ended up going to training camp anyways. That is before he got sent home for getting into an altercation. This led to his famous driveway press conference. You know, when you played, like you were kind of ahead of your time and that like you advocated for yourself and weren't afraid to do that. And that picture of you in your driveway, uh, right. were you in Morristown, by the way? I was, I was okay, in my Morristown. Wife's with from, my wife's from Morristown. So, so, so I, I know, I think I know the neighborhood, but I know the picture so well, and everybody knows this picture. Somebody had their fucking shoes off in your driveway. One of these reporters. I don't know if you've ever seen that in the picture. I hey, want to know who it is. They're ugly hey, trust ass feet
1: in your driveway. Hey, they made themselves extra comfortable <laughs> it's like, that day. Dude, I had, trust me, obviously the reason I was, I was, uh, at home is because Andy and I, we had a bit of a disagreement, yep. uh, on something and he sent me home and he basically said, look, he's like, I'm going to, I'm sending you home. um, he said, uh, you know, until we get back, he said, keep yourself in shape. Um, and we'll, we'll discuss something. We'll discuss things when we get back. So I'm like, all right, cool. So unbeknownst to me, I had no idea. I mean, by the time I guess, um, I got out to the dorm and then got on the road back to, uh, back to Philly. Um, obviously the news had gotten a hold of it and I got to, got into my house and I, I start hearing helicopters, but I didn't really think too much of it. Yeah. I started hearing helicopters. And then um, next thing I know, I I had I heard a knock at the door and I looked through the blinds. And dude, they had the news trucks basically just banked in my right. driveway. And I I mean they had the the tripods and everything set up and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Yep. This is crazy to me. And so, uh, I, you know, I had my, I talked to my publicist, uh, you know, uh, and I'm like, yo, I'm like, what should I do? I'm like, I didn't know what what to do. Cause they were just camped out at my house. And so at one point in time I went outside, I had a basketball goal, you know, at the uh, side of the, uh, the driveway. So I went out, you know, some flip flops and I started shooting some hoops as like, I got some footage of that. And then, uh, the helicopters were, you know, going around and then I went back in the house. And so. I didn't talk when I first went out there. So then, um, I went back in the house and they knocked on the door again. It was like, yo, can we get a comment? Can, can we get a comment? Blah, 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 blah. And so I'm, I'm talking to my publishers at the time. I'm like, you know, what should I do? So she like, yo, it's like, you know, go out there. She goes, just, just go talk to him. She goes, don't, you know, don't give, give him anything. And I had an earpiece. If you look at, if you yeah. look at that, that clip, That's I had great. an earpiece in my ear and, my pub, she goes, yo, she goes, you have your earpiece? I'm like, yeah. She goes, just just go out there. She goes, I can hear everything or what have you. She goes, I'll just talk, talk to you. I'll just give you some stuff to, you know, give to them if if it's something, you know, controversial, what have you. So the whole entire time, I'm doing push, push, I mean, I'm doing uh I'm doing my doing my sit-ups. Yeah. She's hearing everything, all the questions and everything that people are asking me, what have you. So some stuff, you know, she was like, just say no comment or what have you. So that's what I was doing. You know, she was she was uh, kind of in my ear. That's so kind of like so having good, the kind of like having the answers to the test. Yeah. Um, so she was uh she was in my ear listening to everything, all the reporters or what have you. And uh so yeah, so why I took the, the app bench out there was because I, you know, me, I'm creative. I just wanted to have fun and try to make light of the moment. I didn't want to make it you know, so big of a deal than it already was, right. especially with all the media out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So just I just. A little levity. Right. So I just remember Andy telling me to stay in shape and, and make sure I, you know, I'm in shape while I'm away He's doing it. So that's why I brought out the ab bench. I'm like, okay, well he said, keep myself in shape. So I figured I would go out there, you know, do some, uh, do some crunches. And, and, uh, while they were asking
0: me questions, you had the old school Bluetooth, the, you know, the uncle at right. the mall Bluetooth yeah, like <laughs> right. the, the yeah. limo driver, <laughs> one that it was probably unhealthy to wear on your ear. The drama spilled over into the regular season. And by November, T.O. had been suspended for conduct detrimental. He was eventually deactivated for the rest of the season. You mentioned um, Donovan's arm. You know, you guys obviously had some back and forth. Are you guys better than you were now, or is it like still kind of a, a thing that needs some work?
1: Uh, I mean, it is what it is. I don't, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it and and we've gone back and forth. And um, he brought up an issue and it, it resurfaced. I thought it, you know, I thought we had, talk through it. I thought we were done with it. Um, but at the end of the day, man, you know, um, I've been very complimentary of, of what we accomplished um, while I was playing, you know, even after. Um, I mean, and obviously there are people that know that he wasn't or hasn't been so complimentary uh, to the fact that I assisted in 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 his development, development as a quarterback and his skill set. And you think about, you know, if you look at, you know, what his his stats were before, And when and after I got there, um, there's a common denominator. Um, It it was number 81. And so I've always said that I couldn't do what I did uh, without a quarterback. And so for me, they would question, there were questions, you know, reporters had questioned him about, you know, they saw the increase uh, in every areas of of his game. And for whatever reason, he kind of just miffed at the fact that it was, it was, I was a common, common denominator uh, of doing that. And so I don't understand, you know, why it was, you know, he had so such such a disdain against that the idea that I was helping him, um, you know, reach, you know, different um, statistics and, and increasing in, in different areas. Because at the end of the day, like I said, I wouldn't be able to do what I did without a capable quarterback right. and the ball being, you know, put in the right uh, position and places.
0: In March of 2006, T.O. was released by the Eagles. Next stop, Dallas.
1: Um, when I went to Philly, people really got to see um, the speed that I had, and obviously in Dallas as well, uh, playing with uh, Tony Romo.
0: Terrell vibed well with Tony. They made some magic together. Over the next three years, Terrell made some spectacular plays in Dallas, averaging 1,200 yards and 13 touchdowns a year.
2: Throws to the end zone. Touchdown to Terrell Owens. And Romo has his first NFL touchdown throw. Romo well throws. Zan completes Terrell Owens. What a catch! Hung on for the touchdown. Robo to put it up deep. He's got T.O. Terrell Owens touchdown. Robo deep ball. T.O. in the clear. Got it.
0: T.O. Opposing teams had to go to crazy lengths to bottle up T.O. What's the what's the craziest thing anybody ever did to try to take you away? Being that number one guy. Oh
1: my gosh. I remember uh, this. uh, I love this question. Um, I was in Dallas and I remember uh, Michael Irvin was on the sideline. I didn't know he had come to the sideline, but um, I had gone out uh, flanked out right um, toward uh, on the right side of the formation. And we just happened to be uh, on our side. I was uh, close to our sideline with the Cowboys. And when I went out, I didn't notice, but they had put a defensive back on me and they put a linebacker on me as well. And they had a safety over top yeah,
0: and an angel. <laughs>
1: so literally it, it was almost like, I felt like a gunner Yeah. for a second. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, what is this? And I remember, and I, I remember, uh, urban's uh, reaction on the sideline. He, he, I mean, he couldn't believe it. He's like, yo, what is this? Like I've never seen anything like that.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a lot like that Megatron picture that, that that's been going around with him, uh, and two. uh, two players on the other team down in the red zone kind of splitting him in the low red, which is insane. So,
1: right. Right. And so, I mean, for me, that let me know that not that I had arrived, but that I was, uh, I was a force to be reckoned with. And so um, that's a, that's, that's that's a good feeling to have. Oh Yeah. When, when, when the defense is sacrificing, you know, one of their interior guys to go out and, and cover, um, you know, a guy that's, that, you know, that's pretty, pretty dominant on the outside.
0: The Cowboys released T.O. after the 08 season, and in 2009 and 2010, he played two one-year stints with Buffalo and Cincinnati. Forgot about Cincinnati. Play fake, Palmer looks back side, T.O. Cincinnati. in 2012 he signed with the Seahawks during training camp but he never ended up playing with them Seattle was Tio's last NFL stop Tio still loves the ball since he last played in the NFL he still tried to make it work in Canada. He's played indoor football, flag football, and in the fan-controlled football league, but he's consistently been adamant that he still has what it takes to play in the NFL. What does T.L. need to come back and play in the NFL? At 47, what, what would it take? Uh, just an opportunity just
1: to show that, number one, that I'm in condition, I'm capable of playing. Um, and I've, I've said it all along, I mean, I haven't actively you know sought out to to play, um, but it's, it's a so funny an interesting situation came up some months ago and, um, with the owner of a team and, and I'm not, I'm not going to disclose anything, but, uh, he looked at me and he saw, he, and he saw just my physical, you know, uh, through my clothes. He just kind of just saw what kind of shape I was in. He goes, man, you look like, you can still play. And I'm like, yes, just, I've always said that I could still play. I never retired. And even when I last played, it wasn't because, I couldn't play. It was just for whatever reason, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, they didn't retain me. Um, but to answer your question, it just, I, it just need to be the right situation to understand somebody of my caliber. Number one, I, like I said, all I need is need to co- All I need to do is just come in and show you, um, obviously, you know, whatever you need to see from me route running wise, shape wise. Um, but outside of that, you look at, you know, certain situation Obviously, you, you know, that I'm older. So you put me in the right situation. And I think with a team that could use number one, someone of, uh, of my veteran leadership, um, I can teach and groom some of the, a team with some young budding stars. Um, you think about certain situations, uh, during the course of the game and Chris, you know, um, you think about third down situation you think about red zone. Those are situations and areas where I know I would obviously be advantageous. Uh, you think about the red zone, that's 20, uh, 20 to 30 yards. Obviously you, you give that, you know, what about another 10 yards of uh, end zone. I can run routes in my sleep in 20 to 30 yards. And so obviously you think about mismatches, uh, things of that nature. Obviously said, like I said, you, I, it has to be the right situation, right? Team coach. Uh, who understands, obviously, I'm an older player, this and that and the other. But like I said, if I get myself in the right condition and shape, you know, depending on, you know, who that is or who I'm playing for, then, like I said, I'm sure the reps will increase. But initially starting out, yeah, you think at third down, red zone situations,
0: I'm your guy. So you could get buckets in the red zone right now? Oh, no doubt. Although he's technically never retired, nowadays he's a Hall of Famer. The process of getting a gold jacket didn't quite go how he expected it to. In perfect T.O. fashion, he ended up taking his own path and entering the Hall of Fame on his own terms. Hall of Fame, you know, like, I was so happy for you when you got in, but I also know that it was bittersweet because you, like, you probably, by the time you get in, you're kind of annoyed. I mean, you were obviously very annoyed with the whole process. One, do you feel any differently about, like, not going... A couple years later. Okay. And then, and then two, what would you do to fix the hall of fame?
1: um, Probably I would probably have, or I would, you know, my, if you had, there was a suggestion box. um, I would suggest that probably some credible, you know, hall of famers that have actually lived and played the game um, be on the committee to really uh, be on the board to induct, you know, guys in Um, I think the ratio uh, of, of what it is now. It should be more of uh, football players, guys that have, yeah. uh, you know, developed and played you know, the game and made the hall of fame, what it is. And then maybe four guys from, from, from writer beat writers, um, you know, um, uh, to, to, to assist and, you know, be a part of the process. But right now it's so lopsided. You have guys that have never even played the game and really going off an optic standpoint and even just relationships or just experiences that they've had with players uh, and they're basing that on whether guys should be in or not when it should be honestly by be about their body of work. And so for me, that's why I took offense to it. Not, I mean, not really the first time I was like, I knew it was a process. It's not and and the other. Um, although I was disappointed. I was disappointed the first time, but I, at the end of the day, you know, I always say when you align your expectations with reality, you'll never be disappointed. Um, but there were so many guys that, you know, hall of famers and just people that witnessed me play and, and just with the class that I, I had gone, I, I was in with, um, they just knew that I was a, a, for sure, uh, first ballot. And so once I didn't go in the first time I am all right, cool, um, I'll be in the next year. And then when the next year came and I, and I didn't get in. I just felt like it was just the ultimate disrespect. And so when you think about the mission statement and if you look at the mission statement of the Hall of Fame and what it embodies, um, you would think and know that, that I possess and I embodied everything that that mission statement, uh, uh, it, that mission statement says. And so, and my body of work speak, uh, spoke for itself. So when it came to that, I just felt like they basically just overlooked and went beyond the scope of what the hall of fame is supposed to represent. And I think a lot of writers took a lot of personal things, uh, into account. And after that, I was like, you know, I'm not. I wasn't, I wasn't too inclined to, 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 make my presence the, you know, there. Um, so I just took it upon myself to, to do it with, you know, family and friends and, and shared it with the fans you know, of, of whom it really mattered.
0: And good reception from the guys who were already in.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had so many guys that, you know, you know, that reached out to me. Um, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, some, uh, which are legends, uh, of the game, um, hall of famers, um, uh, that reached out to me. And there were some that they, they understood, you know, um, the stance that I took, there were some that didn't like it. Um, and they, and there were some that they were on the fence and they was like, you we, I support you no matter what. And it's like, I understand why you're doing it. It's like, right. and some, and some guys that I talked to prior, probably a couple of years before I had gotten in, they felt the same way that I felt and said that they were going to do exactly what I did like when did it, it came down to it. <laughs> yeah, when it came down to it, they folded. Yeah. Um, but I'm one of those guys, if I say I'm going to do something, uh, I'm going to do it. And at the end of the day, I had a, really a, a conversation with my family. Um, if they had basically kind of encouraged me to go, then I would have taken that into consideration. Um, but they felt disrespected as well, right. because everything that I had done on that football field, it wasn't only just for the organizations that I played for, my family, my grandmother who passed in 2012, they were the inspirations for, for what I became on that football field. Um, I never thought I would play beyond the collegiate level. Uh, I wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school um and like i said I got drafted you know late third round so um i, like I said I didn't come from the worst of of situations um, but I, I i made myself into to to a hall of famer uh, unbeknownst to really a lot of people that saw me and witnessed me in high school and college that never never knew or had an inkling of an uh, of an idea that I would probably be a hall of famer one day.
0: As it stands now, T.O. is number three on the all-time receiving TD list with 153 behind Jerry Rice and Randy Moss. He's five-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, three-time receiving touchdowns leader, and a member of the NFL's 2000s All-Decade team. Here's a crazy stat, is the only player in league history to score a touchdown against all 32 teams. Here's a crazier stat, he's also the only player in league history to score twice against each team. So T.O.'s got records on records, and if we were going to list all those records, it would take a very long time. But rest assured, the man was busy. There's never going to be a player quite like him. As we wrap this thing up, I want to say one word to you, gold. The subject came up a few times in this episode. If you rewind all the way back, one of the first things we told you is that T.O.'s middle name is El Dorado, the golden one is then drafted to the golden state california to play for a team named after the gold rush in the city with the golden gate bridge in his story about getting ready for the super bowl the eagles brass referred to him as the golden child then when all said and done he ends up with a gold jacket gold symbolizes the best of the best the top tier the most coveted and the highest valued when Tio was at his best he was setting the gold standard for wide receivers for a guy who grew up not being able to play ball with the neighborhood kids well that's some 24 carat shit right there once again i'm chris long and this is american prodigies becoming great don't forget to subscribe and if you're enjoying this podcast please leave us a rating and review it really helps us out check back next week for a new episode Thank you so much for listening. Be great out there.